Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a joy to be with each and every one of you once again on this special week, Passover, Easter, as we celebrate the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we want to take time first to welcome all of you uh, that are tuning in with us, whether you've been following us for a few days, a few weeks, whether just this is your second, third time, or maybe this is your first time joining us. I believe that it is the Lord who is bringing us together for such a time like this. We have been uh, speaking over the last 20 days, almost three weeks, uh, speaking um, on this series, Coronavirus Passover, Lazarus, uh, Lazarus, um, the Lazarus Effect 2020. And we have been comparing what the Bible says and, and speaking through that of what God is saying in this hour, in a time where there is so much fear, confusion, uh, so many people, so many things are happening, especially in the prophetic. If you have eyes to see, if you have ears to hear, God is speaking in this hour. And I believe that God is, is, is bringing us together to confirm, to help us to understand and come together and see what really is taking place. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is what is God saying in this hour? What is God saying in this hour? That's what I'm interested in. That's what I want to know. What is God saying in this hour? And so we want to continue to invite you uh, to join us this week. Uh, this is a Passover. Uh, this is Passover week, and we're going to be speaking some prophetic things. And I'm excited about today. And before we start, I just want to uh, just thank God that we're able to be joined today by Brother Fernando, Brother Jeremiah, and Brother Marty. It is always a pleasure to sit down and open up the word with you men of God. And today I'm excited. We're going to go back to our story of Lazarus. Brother Marty, we're going to have you take it from here. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, excited about today. And uh, we're going to be digging into the what we believe are, are, are mysteries hidden uh, within this story that we're exploring and have been exploring over the last several days. I would encourage those of you that have just joined us uh, to go back and review uh, all the things that the Lord has been uh, revealing to us and bringing forth um, in these last, especially these last several podcasts. Uh, I think they go back probably six now, six podcasts ago it began. When we began to talk and discuss about a pandemic that came, a sickness, if you will, that came, uh, which is a type of a pandemic as we're relating it to our times, in that it resulted in death, the death of Lazarus. And that in that story, what you will find as you review, much prophetic truth was was uh, was gleaned as the Spirit of God began to to reveal these things in His Word, and we pointed it out because we were discussing how that it is not without notice that this global pandemic has broken forth on the planet uh, precisely in the days that would be leading up to the Easter season or the Passover season, and that the two quite possibly are connected, and we believe that they are. And so we've gone through the story of Lazarus. We've gone through 
uh, his resurrection. We've talked about the positioning that occurred in that time as the the very act of raising Lazarus from the dead uh, triggered a response in the ruling class of that day. Whereas after Lazarus was risen from the dead, it triggered a an aggressive response that would seek to destroy the Lord. Because the resurrection of Lazarus set in motion what would ultimately lead to Calvary. And so those of you who have uh, been trained in the ways of, of the Spirit and who understand biblical interpretation, there are many ways of looking at the scripture. There is no private interpretation. So in other words, we can't make stuff up, right? But but there are levels of interpretation as the Spirit reveals and as we grow in the knowledge and grace of our Savior by the Holy Spirit. And we say that to say that when you look at the historical narrative, when you look at the historical fact that the gospel reveals, that is that the stories actually happened, we also need to understand that the Bible teaches us that God declares the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. It's a spiritual principle. In other words, as we've right. said before, what we see transpire in the beginning is the same that we will see unfold in the end just prior to his return. And so we apply that lens to our biblical interpretation and we begin to see that all along God has hidden within his word keys and clues and puzzle pieces, if you will, that when you begin to place them together, suddenly you begin to see a picture emerge that we believe is speaking directly to our generation and to this time. And so yesterday we, we discussed again Mary and, 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 and her anointing of Jesus' feet in John chapter 12. And we, we talked about that she represents a glorious church that we believe will be emerging out of this pandemic, out of this sickness and disease that we see coming. One thing I want to say right here, if the Lord allows, and that's this. If you've noticed in our country, in the United States of America, there's this really heavy-duty push to open uh, businesses, to, to bring back, you know, uh, the things as they were before this pandemic. And we act like we've been up, up under this for like, you know, a year or two. And really, right. it's only been 15 days or so, give or take a day or two, since we actually had a national state of emergency issue. Right. There's right. And so what they're what they want to do, which is really an American thing, right? I mean, we want everything now, we want it instantly. We we are pushing and wanting to come up out of this. Now the question has to be asked, is this a judgment of God? I believe that it is. One, because it is something that is affecting the whole planet. And two, because all the churches are shut across this country. All the doors to our houses of worship have been shut, and every phase of the ministry is being dealt with. Into this climate, we've seen emerging two messages. One that is coming from those that God has been speaking to, we believe, that say, listen, it is a time to shut ourselves away even as they did in the time of Egypt at the first exodus, which occurred and became the first Passover. 
It is a time to be in our houses and to be seeking the Lord. And then there's the other side of it, the other so-called part of the church that stands up, the false prophets, if you will, and in their bluster and in the empty words by which they bind and loose and claim to have authority over everything, they continue to stomp their feet, turn red in the face, and even use the name of Jesus, claiming that God is telling them to rebuke the coronavirus. But what if they actually are finding themselves trying to rebuke what God is trying to do, which is to bring correction to a nation and to a world? And if you if you if you presume that you can take authority over it, you might very well be finding yourself fighting against a judgment of God. And I don't want to be on that side. Right. And what are what are judgments for? When you look and study the prophetic scriptures, when God dealt with his own people, he always allowed things to happen and to occur at, 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 at times in order to bring correction to them. He used, he used uh, plagues. He used uh, foreign armies. He used all kinds of different things when, when, when the sins of his own people, I'm not talking about the world, but the sins of his own people became so egregious that in an effort to get a hold of them and cause them to reflect on their sins and failures, he allows a calamity to come forth in the hopes that it will smack us upside the head and get us to focus on something, and that is to seek him. Like we talked about several podcasts ago, we said, you know what God says in in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, which they all like to quote and shout about. But He said, you know, if my people, which are called by my name, and He does, He's not addressing the world here. He says, my people called by my name will humble themselves. I've seen anything but humility emerging from these uh, these ruling a class, religious, elite, hyper charismatic prophets that are standing up claiming to have a word from the Lord. And they are absolutely powerless, and their prophecies fall to the ground. There is no humility, right. right? There is no reflection of could it be that it is our actions, it is our mm-hmm. behavior, right? It is our ministries or lack thereof of truth within them over a succession of multiple decades. I'm not just talking about the last two months, but multiple decades that have culminated in what we see now, that God has had to shut the doors and tell them to sit down and shut up so that they can reflect on where they've led this nation to the point where there is absolutely, truly no convicting power of the Holy Spirit flowing through their ministries anymore to call a nation back to God. It is a dire condition we find ourselves in. And yet we see, rather than humbling ourselves, and praying, and seeking God, and turning from our wicked ways so that he can heal our land, the opposite is taking place. A push to come up out of it, a desire for goods and services and commerce to be reacted, for our sports arenas to be opened, our movie houses to be filled again, uh, our churches to be open, to go back to the same ridiculous non-gospel messages that we've been hearing for the last 20, 30 years. None of that, none of that is going to, to benefit us now. As a matter of fact, that is what they're pushing for and desiring to have happen 
but in essence, it is possible that they are fighting against God. And I prophesy to you, by the Spirit of the Lord, I believe that if we do not yield ourselves to what God is trying to tell us right now, and if we do not humble ourselves and begin to seek him and pray yeah. and seek his face and turn from acknowledge that we even have them, Yes. That we have not been walking the way he wants us to. If we don't do that, I'm telling you right now, something worse is going to happen. Something worse will come upon this nation, for it refuses in the face of the of the of the incredible death that we're witnessing on our television screen. For instance, this morning we woke up and New York has almost eight hundred people died overnight. In a 24-hour period, the owners of the wow. mortuaries are, are saying that they don't even ha- they can't even they can't even handle the dead bodies. They've called in giant refrigeration trucks just in New York yep. to put the bodies in there and try to preserve them from decaying so they can get to them. The mayor of New York proposing that they use Central Park as a place where they can dig mass graves and bury the coffins until this thing passes by and then they can have a proper funeral in the days and weeks and years ahead. This is insanity, right? And still, it doesn't penetrate. Where are the leaders standing up saying, God, we need to pray, right? I mean, we need to humble ourselves. We've sinned against God. Where are the prophets calling for repentance? Instead, even our vice president, trying to be so politically correct, he quotes scripture in his little speeches he tries to give. He says, if we do this, we do that, we hold to the CDC recommendations, we go to the administration plan, and then he ends it by saying, we will heal our land. He's supposed to be this, this, this great Christian, right? But he tries to like interject this soft peddling backdoor kind of scripture use. We ain't going to heal our land. There's only one person who's going to heal our land. It's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. It's God Almighty himself. But not if we don't come by way of his prescribed manner. Yes. So that's what we see happening. That's where we've been in the scriptures. That is what we are afraid of at this point. I sense it in my spirit, and I have been over the last several days, that if we do not submit our ourselves under the corrective hand of God right now. And let me talk to some of you that are just joining us and you that are have been listening to us. These next few weeks, don't go outside if you can at all avoid it. Don't go places because this is going to increase and it's already increasing. And God said in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20, come away, my people, into your chambers, shut the doors around you, and hide thyself as it were, but for a little season until what? Until the indignation be overpassed. He told the children of Israel at the time of, of the Exodus, you go and you get in your houses. And like Brother Jeremy was talking about the day before, he said, you take the blood of the lamb and you apply it to the doorposts of your house. That's what Passover is all about. A lamb was slain. The blood was applied to the the lintel and the two side posts of the door. And when the death angel came through town, and he did, only those who were under the blood, safely hidden in their houses, he passed over them. We are approaching 
an intensity right now that we need to hear the spirit of the Lord. And, and, I'm, and I'm cautioning you, go by what you know in your heart. Stay inside, stay with your family, seek the Lord, not in fear, but in faith knowing that he has promised us by the precious blood of the Lamb to keep us and to protect his children. As he says in the Psalms, right? He says, you shall not fear for the arrow that flies by day, neither for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Isn't that what they call it? They say it's an invisible enemy. How many times have you heard that this coronavirus is an invisible enemy? Well, God is right. telling his people, right, that that blessed are they that dwell or he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, who dwelleth under the shadow of the Almighty, right? I will say of my God, he is my refuge and my fortress. He is my shield and my buckler. You know, I, I, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, which the righteous run into, and they are saved. The Lord gathereth under the shadow of thy wing. And then he says, though a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy other side, it shall not come near you. And that is the promise that we have from him. But we have to be open and attentive to his scriptures. We have to be led by the spirit of God. We have to be in prayer and seeking him so that divine instruction can be given to us, his children, and we we don't have to fear in that sense as long as Jesus is in the house. Can you say yes. amen to that? Amen. So, amen. So that brings us to something here and where we want to talk about today, and we're only going to be able to just discuss a few things because what we are going to see unfold as we enter into this second day of the week of Passover here is we're going to see that hidden quite possibly within the gospel of John were signals that were meant to be given to an end time generation who could discern by the spirit and see what God was saying. Now we've talked about Mary and the fragrance and the separation between Mary and Judas, right? Because when Mary anointed Jesus' feet, a fragrance fills the house. And it's that glorious church, which we said she's a type of, coming out of a sickness and a death, which is what we believe is going to happen. We believe that the sickness and the death and the resurrection of Lazarus is representative of our time, especially because it occurred before a Passover into that after Lazarus is re resurrected and just before Jesus goes into the Passover season he's at supper he's sitting with Simon and Martha and Mary and Lazarus a tremendous act of worship takes place which we've already discussed at length the house fills with the glory of the Lord and then for the first time in the gospel of John chapter 12 we see Judas is manifested and what we've been putting forth is that what's going to come out of this COVID-19 virus is a glorious church, a church that has the message revealed to it of what the days ahead are about to, uh, what we are about to experience in the days ahead. The prophetic unfolding is being revealed to his church right now in the house, but it's also going to expose a Judas-like church. And, and so a separation is taking place if you can see it. And we've talked about that at length. And again, we encourage you to go back to the podcast leading up to this one. Then we talked about <clears throat> how that the result of this, there is going to be many disillusioned people who have been 
up in that hyper-charismatic Pentecostal denominational world who realize that through this extraordinary time that we're facing upon the face of the earth, when they turn to their leaders and they've turned to their pastors, they found no solution. They found no answers. They had no word from their shepherds. And, and so what they're going to do is what we see in John chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. They're going to look for the real Jesus, and they're going to find the real Jesus with the Lazaruses who have been resurrected from the dead out of this situation. That is all those people who have, for all intensive purposes, found themselves in despair, even unto death, if you will, that is, in their hope and aspirations that Jesus would actually manifest himself to them and only to find that they had been surrounded by a completely backslidden generation wherein they had no place else to go. But in the in the nth moment through this thing, just before Passover, they're beginning to hear the voice of the Lord and their spirits are coming alive, seen, if you will, or typified in the resurrection of Lazarus. And so this brings us to where we are today, because when you read John chapter 12, verse 9 through 11, you'll see that many people that were once formally hooked up to the establishment, they leave the establishment and they begin to go where Lazarus is because that's where Jesus is. A whole bunch of people are going to come out of this looking for the real church, looking for the real fellowship, looking for the real people who have the real resurrection power of Jesus residing in their lives. A great harvest is going to take place, but it's not going to be a harvest that builds the kingdoms of men. It's going to be a harvest that prepares a bride for the second coming of the Lord. And that's the message that's going to come out of this. And that brings us to where we are today. John chapter 12, verse 12, it starts with this. It says, on the next day, are you guys there? John chapter yes. 12, 12? Yes. It yes. Says, Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Sure. It says, on the next day, much people that would come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches yes. of palm trees Keep reading. And, and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Okay, and so here we go. Let's stop right there. We are in the season of Passover. And after the Lazarus resurrection, what occurs is John begins there, just as Brother Jeremy uh, uh, read it. He uses the phrase, on the next day. Brother Jeremy, read us uh, chapter 12, verse 1, would you? Yes. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised. From the dead okay now look what john is doing here nothing that is written in the bible is written by accident and those of you now i don't have time to lead you into all of this as far as laying huge groundwork so that you can understand what we're saying but pray seek the lord compare the scriptures and a, and a picture will emerge okay john chapter 12 verse 1 Jer brother jeremy just read it there's a signal here it says jesus six days before the Passover. So we have a six-day period reference there. Isn't that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we have six days mentioned, and then 
all that we talked about, you know, the whole Mary thing, uh, the great, you know, glorious church that we've been talking about, the Judas is exposed, all that. You guys go back and listen to the podcast. And then we have Lazarus resurrected. We have coming out of it a a uh, a separation that takes place and and Jesus hanging out with a Lazarus-like church or believer, if you will. And then John in verse 12 says, the next day. So when you put six and another day together, what do you have? Seven, right? The seventh day, yeah. The seventh day. So it's interesting that as we come into the seventh day of the story, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Now just remember that, okay, because what we want to talk about here is something very, very interesting. Now, what Brother Jeremy read is as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, verse 13, it says, the people took uh, palm branches, right, branches of the palm trees, and they go to meet Jesus. Now, listen to this. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Now, what do you mean? Passover had nothing to do with palm branches. That's not how you celebrate Passover. You begin by cleaning your house of all the leaven and all that. You select the lamp. There's, I mean, you go through the, the, the festival of Passover, and there's no mention of palm branches. Right, right, right. But, but when you break out palm branches, it's always mentioned in accordance with the Feast of Tabernacles. So let us ask, ask this question. We have to take notice here that two feasts are combined here by the Spirit. John points it out. It's the only gospel that points it out in this way. He talks about six days in verse 1, and then he adds another day in verse 12. Six plus one equals seven. Why are you telling me that, Brother Morty? Because as you apply prophetic interpretation to the scripture, you understand this, that as Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 tells us, that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Could it be that what the way John was writing was a signal to a future generation, a generation that that would that would witness the return of the Lord. Now, he begins in chapter 12, verse 1, with six days. So applying scripture to scripture, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, prophetically speaking, because remember, Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 says this, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we apply the spirit of prophecy to the scripture and the scripture teaches us that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Was it a signal to us, a future generation, that applying this type of, of scriptural interpretation and John mentioning the six days before he comes into Jerusalem, he was signaling that a 6,000 year period of human history has to transpire before a seventh day begins. And at the beginning of the seventh day, what we will witness is Jesus coming to Jerusalem. All right, go back, rewind it, listen to it. So what we're, <laughs> what we're emphasizing now is John chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, because we have the merging of two celebrations. It shouldn't be this way, 
but it is. And whenever God includes something like this, he's trying to signal us by the Holy Spirit that there's something much deeper taking place here. Listen, I believe that what is being placed here, and I'm just going to throw it out there and then we'll dig into it, is that, that what was being signaled to those who would be reading these things led by the Spirit, that a Passover season in the future that would witness a Lazarus-like event, a sickness that leads to death in the Passover season, those who would begin to have this revealed to them by the Spirit of God, that it was written for a future generation, and we're going to see why, that a Passover in the future generation would signal that the return of the Lord is near. There's been many Passovers since then. There's been many Passovers since the, the first Exodus, but there was a future generation that would witness a signal, a, 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 a something that would, that would alert them that the coming of the Lord is near. And there's reasons why we say this, and we're going to look at that. Now, remember, we shared about this the other day as we closed out two podcasts ago, that, that with this in mind, what we need to understand is that Passover appears to be something that the Lord has set as a signal in many ways to many generations that Passover itself is significant and that prophetic events occur on it. I'm going to give you an example, and we went over this the other day. Remember, back in Genesis chapter 15, God reveals himself to Father Abraham. Abraham uh, cuts a covenant. In that covenant, he, 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 takes, he takes three uh, animals, clean animals, and splits them in half. Mm-hmm. And then he stands in the blood, and he's having to fight off these birds, these vultures that are coming to fight and contest over the covenant that he's cutting with God. And then he right. describes that a, that a burning lamp and a, a smoking flax come out of heaven and pass between the pieces, and then yes. he hears the voice of the Lord tell him about the first exodus. He tells him that his children are going to go into uh, captivity, the nation that will be born out of him, that would be the children of Israel, right? That they would go into captivity, but that they would be released after 430 years. Yes. So, And that occurred on the very first Passover. Because when you read the account in the Exodus of the children of Israel coming out, it says, and so the children of Israel came out on the very self-same day that he promised Father Abraham that they would 430 years before. And so the deliverance and judgment go simultaneously connected to a Passover. It always speaks of a judgment and deliverance. I'm going to tell you about this one. Uh, the same time that, that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed is right. the same time that Lot was rescued on a right. Passover, right? Genesis chapter 19, verse 3. How do we know it was a Passover? Well, one, we have the symbolism of the fact that Lot ended up making unleavened bread for the visiting angels that came into his house. Unleavened mm. bread is distinctly a mark of Passover. And so yes. God all along has been telling us that Passover is significant, that, that the discerning yes. spiritual people of his house need to pay attention when significant events take place during a Passover season. It hasn't always been that way, but the, but the big events are always tied 
to Passover. And that's why we're putting forth that this pandemic flowing into this Easter Passover season is the same. It's a signal. It's a signal to us because it's global and it's, right. and it's tied to Passover. And therefore, the spiritually discerning have to open their eyes and, and open their ears to see and to hear what God is saying and how God talks. Jericho, if you remember, the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River and then destroyed Jericho during a Passover. What is the Jericho story? Remember Rahab the harlot, a Gentile woman? Yes. yes. Uh, the, 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 the children of Israel go in there just before they destroy it, and they tell her, look, uh, because you have rescued us, if you don't uncover us, if you help us, so forth and so on, your house will be saved. You take this red-colored uh, rope, and you hang it out your window. Well, that red rope was symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he, and he told them, he told her, you go get everybody you love, all your loved ones, and you bring them in the house. And when this judgment falls, you will be saved if we see the red colored rope hanging from your window. Well, that's the gospel right there. And it occurred, right. Jericho was destroyed during a Passover season. They crossed the Jordan, and then they, they, they have the feast of Passover and that whole season right in there, and then Jericho is destroyed. So another major prophetic event. Jericho is a type of the end of the world. Remember, Rahab is, 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 is taken out in the midst as Jericho is beginning to be destroyed. She's rescued and pulled out as the soldiers are going in to bring judgment upon the people in Jericho, which is a type of the end-time antichrist and the walls that were impregnable, right? I mean, she's rescued just before it's utterly destroyed. And it's a type of our time, and it occurred during the Passover. We talked about Gideon and the destruction of the Midianites, the big dream that he has, right? He sees this, this, uh, this, this, this cake of unleavened bread rolling down the hill and destroying them all, right? I mean, that, that dream, that prophetic dream that was given to Gideon in the book of Judges was, occurred during the Passover season. And then you fast forward all the way to King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah and Jerusalem is under threat. It's surrounded by Sennacherib and the Assyrian army, Sennacherib being a type of the Antichrist, the Assyrian army being a type of the global forces that will come against the people of God in the end of time. But it was during that Passover that God told uh, Hezekiah through Isaiah, don't worry about it. He said, God's going to destroy their armies. And that's exactly what happened. If you remember, right, he killed them in the middle of the night. 185,000 of them were killed by the angel yeah. of the Lord. Hezekiah and the people of God were spared again during a Passover. So you have a judgment and you have a rescue. You have a pouring out of wrath and you have a deliverance. Every single time a major event was about to take place that foreshadows the end time, it occurs around the Passover season. We also talked about the handwriting on the wall. Remember where they had that big party where the spirit of Babylon shows up in the Bible, right? Belshazzar, in the, in the third year of his reign, he has this party and he begins to, to bring the vessels of God into the feast house and, and begins to drink out of God's of holy vessels that his grandfather had captured in the destruction of Jerusalem 70 years before. 
And they begin to praise the gods of silver and gold, the economic system. And it's at that moment that the handwriting, the famous story of the handwriting on the wall appears. And, and they call for Daniel the prophet, and he gives the interpretation saying, your kingdom has been weighed in the balance, right? And found wa- right. wanting, and destruction comes upon Babylon. This occurred during the Passover season. And then there's finally, now I'll just throw this one out. We talked about it before, that Esther and the Jews fasted because of the decree of Haman to destroy the Jews, right? And, and yes. his plot is exposed. And Haman is destroyed, and the people of God are spared. All of that occurred on the Passover. And so what we're saying now is that coming out of this pandemic, it is quite possible that we are witnessing something very significant because the whole world is on lockdown. And yes. it's happened in the season of Passover. And, and it's meant and designed to get the attention of the people of God. And it comes after what we were calling the Lazarus effect, right? That, that coming out of this, it is possibly a signal to us that when we emerge from this pandemic, we're, we're headed into the days of tribulation, which the Passover are a small, if you will, uh, 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 historical narrative of the larger truth that we will see unveiled in the book of Revelation as we go on. Now, I know some of your heads are spinning, but you need to go back and listen to what we're saying so that you can follow us until you get it. I mean, just read it. Read it and see. Now, why are you interpreting Scripture this way? Why are you saying this? Well, I just laid out several examples as to how prophetic events that foretell the end of the world have always occurred on a Passover. Big events. And so this is what we're doing. we got to remember that the Apostle John, who is the Apostle, by the way, who wrote the book of Revelation, he writes in the most uh, mystical manner, if you will, in the most mysterious spiritual ways he writes. And this is how he was trained to write, by the Holy Spirit. Even when he writes beginning with, 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 with the beginning of his gospel, what, he, what does he say? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and there was not anything made that was made, right? He is before all things, and he's the light that shines in the dark. What's he doing? He's writing his gospel as it was uh, in connection with Genesis, right? Because in Genesis, it says the same thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters and says, what? Let there be light. And there was light. And then what? He separates the light from the darkness. That's how John writes his gospel. He says, Jesus is that light. He is the light that shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He's the light that is lighting every man that cometh into the world, right? He came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of god so he writes in a very very spiritual way and so the discerning eye can see and ear can hear and and he hints in these stories that we're discussing today a a hint of the book of revelation will unfold as we go on in the next day and talk about things but listen Remember what he said, and, 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 and I'm trying, and I'm hoping that you can follow me. An example of this kind of esoteric spiritual interpretation of the Spirit is given in Revelation chapter 13. Remember when he's talking about the image of the beast and the mark of the beast? 
and he, and he says it, uh, that the name of the beast is the number of a man, right? He says for the name of the uh, for the his number is six hundred three score and sixty, right? Which is where we get the famous six six six. What does he say there? He says here is the mind that has wisdom, right? Right. And he says let him, let him calculate the number of the beast. So all throughout his writings, he writes in a very spiritually hidden manner. And so when he writes the gospel, he writes it in that same way. He writes it in a multiply in a in a multiple layered way. While the plain truth is the plain truth, yet hidden beneath the layers of expression are nuggets of revelation placed there precisely for our time. And that is our thesis. So when John begins to talk about Jesus coming into Jerusalem now, he then turns his attention in verse 13 to the branches of the palm tree. And, and he says that they, in essence, have merged two feasts. And this is supposed to be a signal to us. It's supposed to reveal to us something if we will take the time to explore it, right? So is it a signal to our generation? Is it quite possible that hidden there was something that the way he wrote should signal us, or at least the generation who would witness how he wrote and what he pointed out, that we indeed have entered into the last days? I think the answer is yes. yes now remember this. And that's, the, and that's the thing, Brother Marty. It's... Uh, the people have to make that decision on their own. And you're, you're giving examples of how, how God, this is how God chooses to speak to us, right? The, the Bible says it is the uh, glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the honor of kings to search it out. God hides things in scripture, uh, not from you, but for you to search it out, right? And it's the honor of kings to yes. search out the matter. He, he, that's why he spoke in parables to his disciples. Because he he yeah. wanted to 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 stir something in them to want to search out what he's talking about. So God yeah. and you and a great example of that was what you spoke about yesterday. How we have this hidden revelation in the uh, uh, alabaster box with the costly alabaster box with with the myrrh and and and, and uh, uh, the other ingredient that was involved in it. And you begin to talk about. Uh, the revelation hidden in it. God designed it that way, right? For yeah. us to search it out. And, and that's what you're talking about, especially John, who wrote the book of Revelations. He, he talks in such a deep way that it really causes the, the, the reader or the listener to really want to search in a deeper way. That's why we say John is probably the more, the more mystical and spiritual gospel out of the four. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what was taking place, the converging of uh, of this feast of Passover with this global pandemic, it's, it's one of two things. It's either the greatest coincidence <laughs> in, in history, right? right? Yes. Or, yes. or God speaking to us and designed uh, uh, this, this, this situation to take place during Passover. Yeah. Now, we have history. And we have proof in Scripture that he has always decided to speak prophetically concerning end times, as we see in the story of Lazarus, right, during Passover. So that is something yeah. that we have to consider, right, as, as listeners. Yes. And I wanted to just say that so the listeners can, 
can begin to pay attention to those things because again we 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 speak about it we we <laughs> we're speaking to a generation not everybody i know i know there's listeners that are very mature in the word of god but by and large across america uh the christians are are biblically illiterate they are not taught to glean from scriptures like this yeah right, right. it's, it's yeah. a very surface message uh, almost practical and there's nothing wrong with practical living but but the truth of the matter is we have to begin to see the the, the word of god in a deeper way right yes and so i wanted to say that just for the listener's sake um and, and you're bringing forth a lot of great examples right throughout scripture of how god has spoken to us uh in the, that, uh, in the past that's excellent, excellent. Yes. brother jeremy what were you going to say yeah, I would like to echo um, what Brother Fernando is saying and what you have laid out before us. Because ultimately, like Brother Fernando said, we are going to have to answer this question, right? And yeah. you're not going to find the answers in going to a commentary, right, reading your commentaries. You're not going to find the answer going to your favorite preachers. You're going to find the answer. And let me just grab this these 30 seconds to tell you this. Remember when Jonah was fleeing from God and he found himself in a boat, right? And it was rocking, right? And all the yes. heathen were asking, what in the world is going on? And so I'm trying to answer the question, how do you find out within, within yourself what's going on? It's, it's by this. These fishermen, these sailors ask Jonah this question that I believe you have to ask yourself. They say, Jonah? What is your occupation? Preacher, are you listening? He's reminding you what he's called you. Who are you? Right? Who are you? A prophet. Yeah. Where did you yeah. come from? What is your country? And and of what people art thou? And, that, and it's almost like those questions is what it took for it to click on Jonah. Hey, I'm Hebrew. I serve and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is that this answer, if you really dig into your word, into the word, you will see what these prophets preach, what they warned us about, and who really is this God that we serve. And so God. it's going to take an analyzation of you going. And again, I want to make it clear, you're not going to find it in commentaries. <laughs> Thank God for them, but you're not going to find answers there in your favorite books and your favorite preachers. It's within the word of God. And I just wanted to echo that. No, that's really good. Now, remember what you just said there, because you know, what you will find in commentaries is is some good historical background and 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 those things. So we don't we don't denigrate them, but consider this that 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 much of the commentaries that uh, that are written were written with the lights that they had at the time of their generation, and so you'll right. go back and I have I have a bunch of commentaries in my library here, some as far back as two three hundred years old. I have the the Jewish rabbi commentaries that some of those are 1500 years old that I draw and glean resource from and information from but what I've noticed through that through the commentaries is that is that it, especially the commentaries that were written before Israel became a nation again in 1948 they're written with with a wondering as to what is it that's actually going to come in the future because they knew by studying the prophecies that there was much that they didn't understand and much that they couldn't understand because it was such a different world. So while we were able to glean historical information and even some really cool insights at times in, the, in those commentaries from those godly men, 
they were limited in what they could see and so and so but but when something comes to pass and something is fulfilled in scripture it's always post fulfillment that they seem to understand what happened but while it was happening they weren't really familiar and that brings us to this because the reason john points out in 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 john chapter 12 verse 13 the palm branches right they took palm tree branches and they began to cry out something they went forth to meet him and they cried hosanna Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now think about this, because what they were actually doing was quoting from the book of Zechariah, the prophet. They were trying to force Jesus to become the king on the spot, because that's what the, the, the palm branches represented is God is with us. The Messiah is with us. But John, the way he writes it is so distinct and different because he points out that they were trying to combine the two festivals at the time. They were, they were in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but they're going to actually tear down palm branches and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles at the same time. And John, by the Spirit, says, whoa, wait a minute here. And he begins to, to unfold something so profound as to be found in the opening of the seven seals in the book of Revelation. And we're going to show you that in a second here. Now look at this. When they come in on the palm, uh, uh, in verse 13, where it says that Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Well, first of all, uh, verse 12, where it says the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. What we're telling you right now is out of this Passover, out of this pandemic, out of this sickness and disease, is going to come a separation. A glorious church and a false church. The false church is still going to exist, but it's going to become that false church that the Bible predicts will fall away. We see this in Judas, in that when Mary uh, pours the ointment and the fragrance fills the house, that's when he sets up, because that's too extreme for him, right? And what he tries to do mm -hmm. is then take the fragrance and turn it into merchandise, which is where these hyper-charismatic Pentecostals and the corrupt denominational world is. It's going to get worse out of this, but also coming out of this is going to be almost an underground revival, if you will, a whole group of people that are going to say, where's Jesus? Where's Lazarus? Where's that kind of believer? Where's our Lord? I want to go where they are. Then John takes us into the very next day, which we have already, go back and rewind it and check it out. We've been talking about the next day being the seventh day, because he starts 12, chapter 12, verse 1, speaking of six days. After that six days is fulfilled, suddenly we have Jesus coming to Jerusalem. And we put forth the, the biblical principle that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. John was signaling by the Spirit to a future generation, which I believe is ours, that when you see the culmination of a 6,000-year period of human history, as you get into the seventh day or the beginning of the 7,000th year of human history, that is when Jesus is coming back. And that is represented by Jesus coming to Jerusalem as it's written 1212 on the next day, the seventh day, as he heads into Jerusalem. It's at the dawning of the Passover week. We know Jesus is coming soon. Coming out of this, you're going to hear the true message is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is coming. And that's why he writes it that way. But then something unique takes place in verse 13. We have the merging of the two feasts, the Feast of Passover, Jesus coming into Jerusalem for Passover. But the, the people begin to take palm branches, which is only done during the Feast of Tabernacles. But check this out. Here's what John does. 
the way he writes it, he is literally expressing to us a deeper truth here. It's a revelation hidden if you have eyes to see. Because both of these events can be found in Zechariah's prophecy. What Jesus does, rather than embracing the waving of the palm branches and identifying himself as God's conquering king, instead he identifies himself with Zechariah 9.9, which is this. Look what Jesus does in verse 14. Jesus, what does he do? When he had found a young donkey, he goes and sits on it. And then it says this, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king cometh first sitting on an ass's colt. Now check this out. So what John is saying is Jesus chose not to identify himself with the palm branch or the expression of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also found in the book of Zechariah. This thing that John quotes, that he's coming sitting on an ass's colt in verse 15, you can find it, for those of you who are listening, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That's what Jesus chose to identify himself with. Because Jesus didn't come first as a conquering king. It is the thing that blinded the generation of his day to his actual mission and purpose. He would come in humility. He would come as a servant. He would come to die for the sins of the world. But that doesn't take away from the fact what they did. Because John was writing in such a powerful way as to say it will be a Passover that still triggers a future Feast of Tabernacles. And look what he says. That these things, verse 16, understood not his disciples at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So what John is literally, <laughs> literally saying is that, is that only the first part was fulfilled. And he doesn't comment on the palm branch ceremony that they just went through. He doesn't comment on it because it was yet to be fulfilled in a future generation, yet he includes it because the two are connected, and it's quite possible that including this act within this Passover week, coming out of a sickness, a death, a resurrection of Lazarus into Passover at the end of seven days, all of it, all of it was put there to signal this end-time generation who would witness something very similar that Jesus is soon to come. So John confirms the first prophecy, which is Jesus riding on the colt, coming as the humbling servant. But he doesn't comment on the palm branches because the palm branches were not for their time, but for a future Passover, which would signal that the Feast of Tabernacles or the return of the conquering king is at hand. So he only comments, on Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he comes as the humble king. But he leaves out comment on the other prophecy. And you can read that in Zechariah 14. I think it's verse 16 through 21. And there, the Feast of Tabernacles is mentioned three times at the conclusion. At the conclusion of the world's history. It speaks of a future fulfillment that is yet to be fulfilled, of a future Tabernacle. Now, if you go over to Zechariah, and I know your guys, not you guys, but the people losing their heads are spinning, 
but take your time and research this. You go to Zechariah 14, and what you will see is that the Feast of Tabernacles is tied to Armageddon. It's tied to the end of the world. It's tied to the destruction of God's enemies, the rescuing of Israel, and the return of the Lord to the earth with his saints. Remember, if, we're, if the pattern is holding true, then we should see something. And what I'm about to show you is that in Revelation chapter 6, when the seals are being loosed, we are witnessing the only other place in the scripture where palm branches are mentioned that is in the New Testament. And I'm going to show you something here. Because if the pattern is correct, then we have an unfulfilled Feast of Tabernacles being hidden within Jesus coming in a Passover season to Jerusalem. He chooses to identify himself as the humble king and leaves the other unspoken about. But the other is understood if you go to the book of Revelation. And I'm going to show you something. Go over to Revelation chapter 6 real quick. I'm going to show you something. And and we're going to revisit this. I know you're hearing a lot of information. That, and many of you are probably like going, what? I am completely lost. Well, <laughs> just go back and listen, and, and you'll begin to see if, you're, if I'm talking too fast for you. Now, listen. John doesn't comment. He just points out that all the people grab palm branches. And what do they do? They say, you know, here comes the king. Well, he didn't come to be a king. He came to be a sacrifice. And so the Lord, rather than embracing the king, you know, uh, the king uh, singing that they were doing, right? Blessed is the king, you know, who comes to Zion and all that stuff. Hosanna in the highest. They were they were yelling and singing messianic things, but it wasn't for their generation. And so Jesus rejects that expression, yet leaves it in the scripture for a future generation to know. That when a sickness comes, a death results just before a Passover season, that it is quite possible we're being signaled that the further or the the future fulfillment of that waving of the palm branches that was included in Jesus' coming to die on Calvary and his procession into Jerusalem is now about to be fulfilled. Now listen, if the pattern holds true, then what we see in Revelation chapter 6 and then into seven should be a signal to us that the day of the waving of the palm branches is coming. Look. Look what happens in Revelation chapter seven. It says that, are you there, you guys? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Revelation seven, what begins to unfold is that, well, look at Revelation six seventeen. What's being announced is the great day of his wrath has come. The announcement of the wrath of God occurs in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. Look at Revelation 6, 12. It says, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, right? And then after the opening of the sixth seal, there's an earthquake, there's an eclipse, there's a blood moon. The stars are, I mean, there's disruption in the universe. Stars are falling from heaven. The mighty wind, all this stuff is going on. The kings of the earth and, and, and all the wicked men of the earth are trying to hide themselves in underground bunkers and stuff. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Verse 16, uh, they're asking the mountains to fall on them. Why? Because the wrath of God has come. 
And then it's like the Holy Spirit puts a pause on Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, simply by saying, look, here comes the wrath of God. The, the sixth seal has been opened. And then we go right into chapter 7 where it says, wait a minute. I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea or on any tree. And he said, and I saw another angel ascending from the east. And what does he have in his hand? He has the seal of the living God. And he cries with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. In other words, a momentary pause is going to take place to withhold the wrath of God until something can be done. And this is what he, they go on to do. They go on in verse 3, to hurt not the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, till we have what? Sealed the servants of yeah. our God in their foreheads. So the sixth and seventh seal, which will pour out the wrath of God, in between them, the, the angels come and the wrath is held so that the servants of God can be, can be marked on their foreheads. Now listen. This goes into that famous number of the 144,000. So what happens mm. is after the sixth seal is open and before the seventh seal of wrath is open, God commands the angels to just hold back the wrath so he can seal his servants. And he first seals the 144,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Why? Because salvation is unto the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. But look at this. After he gets done naming the 12 tribes, look what happens in verse 9. Can you read this, Brother Jeremy? Verse 9, chapter 7, verse 9? Yes. And before, and, before you read, and before you read it, keeping in mind that when Jesus came into this Passover after the resurrection of Lazarus, what's pointed out is that there's a merging of two festivals. Only Jesus chooses to identify himself as the humble servant coming into Jerusalem, Zechariah verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 9. That's what he identifies himself with. But there remaineth yet this waving of the branches, and you don't see it show up again until now. Read verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and, and read this slowly. And palms in their hands. Amazing. Now, wow. that's when you see the palms actually manifested and fulfilled. It's after the opening of the sixth seal, just before the seventh seal. And what does John say in verse 13? Would you read that? Because he's wondering, who are all these people? Read verse 13. In uh, of, John, of John 12? Of Revelation or, or 7. Of, of Revelation. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Where did they come from, right? And I, I said means. unto... Yeah, go ahead. And I said unto them... Uh, this is John talking. And, what does he say? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they slow. which what came. Wait, 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 wait. Read this slow. I, I ask, who are these people and what does he tell him? These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes 
and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so stop right there. So we see in between the sixth and the seventh seal, a seal takes place on the servants of God. But it's not just Israel. It's also made up of every tribe, every nation, every kindred. And now they're standing before the throne of God, and they have palm branches in their hands. And John says, who are all these people? He says, these are they that come out of great tribulation. So if the pattern that we're seeing relates to the book of Revelation and a future fulfillment and why John uh, why John uh, mentions it, then we should see both here. What are you saying, Brother Marty? We should see both Israel and we should see Gentiles, just like we saw in the book of Revelation chapter 7 that we just read you, right? Because the Gentiles came after the Jews, and the Jew is sealed in the book of Revelation between the, the sixth and the seventh seal, and so is this innumerable amount of people out of every tribe, tongue, and, and kindred and nation, and they are they are caught up and have come out of the great tribulation just before the opening of the seventh seal. All right, I can't expect you all to get all this. I'm not talking to you, brother, but whoever's well, listening. Brother Marty, brother Marty. Go ahead. So in those last six days, and we know that six days speak prophetically of 6,000 years to a generation uh, yeah. at the end of time, and then uh, and we, know, we know there's a seventh day approaching, which is a millennial, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so Jesus, in the last days of his ministry, in everything that he did, he was very calculated, led by yes. the Spirit. Because yes, he's God. He was, he Only was, God could do this. Yes. Only God could do this, right? Go ahead. <laughs> yes. By, and, yes. And starting with the Lazarus effect, he was even going even going beyond that. But uh, the Lazarus uh, story seems seems to really put things in motion at a in motion at a rapid uh, pace and accelerates things. So what Jesus was doing was through everything that that was transpiring, it, it was speaking prophetically. He was setting forth a template, if you will, yes. that will apply in the last days. Yes. Now, the, the, for the listener, you know, we don't think like that many times. You know, wait, wait a minute. So Jesus was trying to tell us something through everything that he did, every, everything that transpired at, towards the end of his ministry, every particular person, key player involved in, 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 in all these events. Uh, they all represent something that will take place in the end times. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Okay, so so we see that Jesus lays for this template, and and I and the pattern so far is holding true to what what we're seeing right now taking place in our day. Yeah, and, and if we and if we study, well, you don't have to study the story of Lazarus. Study the Book of Revelation. That's going to tell you what's going to happen. Uh, uh, in those days, but the the story of Lazarus gives us deeper insight into how it's going to happen if we have eyes to see. Um, and why is that, brother? Uh, what what is our thesis? What we're saying is that that the Lazarus effect, which we've been discussing the last several podcasts, which I encourage the people to go back and listen to them so that they won't be so lost if they are, uh, is 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 a is a trigger, a prophetic trigger to announce to that future generation who would witness these kinds of global events that would be a trigger to them, the spiritually discerning, that those to whom they teach, those who are in prayer with God, those who are hearing the Spirit, 
would recognize a pattern, a prophetic pattern, that out of the sickness prior to a Passover season that would come and execute a death, a whole bunch of events are going to transpire, and we can see it in the story. And then when we come into, into John chapter 12, where Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, we see the converging of two Hebrew festivals, the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus chooses, like you were just saying, to identify himself not with the Feast of Tabernacles celebration, which is represented by those who cut down palm branches and are waving them and actually proclaiming him the coming king. Instead, he goes and sits on a donkey and identifies himself with Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, as the humble servant that's coming to give his life for the sins of the world first. And then no comment is made on that, but the attention is drawn to that that Zechariah 9-9 event is the fulfillment of that, and that is what John draws our attention to, and he leaves the other uncommented upon again until we see it emerge in John's writings again. John, again, who wrote this gospel when he records the book of Revelation, that's when he says, and this is heavy stuff, <laughs> but that's when he mentions the palm branches again to signal to the end-time generation that if you see a global event that has sickness and death and resurrection in it, represented by Lazarus, who's going to be the kind of church that comes out of this pandemic, understand that a signal has been set forth in the word to that generation that the book of Revelation has begun and that the, the doorstep of the tribulation is beginning to unfold quite possibly or just in the next days ahead when we start to emerge out of this, and that it will lead into the Great Tribulation. And sometime within that time frame, palm branches will show up again between the sixth and the seventh seal, and a church will be rescued. But what we're now about to see, if this is true, and if he was hiding with hints in it, it would be in the way that he constructed the narrative. And so what we're saying is what we see between the sixth and the seventh seal is both Jew and Gentile identified between those two seals. And the identifying mark is palm branches in their hand, which is what we just read, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, right? Because there's an innumerable amount of people out of every tribe, every tongue, every, every, every nation now standing in the throne room between the sixth and the seventh seal with palm branches in their hand. Now, listen. If the pattern and the way that John wrote it is revealing to a future generation, which we believe is ours, that that is coming soon, then we should see the pattern unfold in John 12. Where do we see a type of the 144,000 seals? We see them in John chapter 12, verse 13. They have branches of palm trees in their hands. They are the first identified. Well, if this pattern is true that we're talking about, then we should see Gentiles here as well. And we do. Listen. First, the Jew is mentioned with the palm branches, but we have to see Gentiles. Where are they? Look at verse 20. Would you read it, somebody? Verse 20. Of, of John. Yeah. 1220. John. Got it right here. It says, uh, and there were certain Greeks among them mm -hmm. that came up to worship 
at the feet. Do you see it? Yes. In John, what we just read in John, and you guys, <laughs> I know, when you just read in the Revelation chapter 7, that before the wrath of yeah, God that's, poured that's, out. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, Brother Marty, because, uh, you know, after Revelation 3, uh, and when the Lord tells John, come up hither, uh, you know, there's many people that believe that that's the type of the rapture when John is called up to heaven. So uh, the Lord stops. That means that means that the church is no longer on the earth right, during that time. So anything after Revelation chapter 4, most of the modern church uh, is, is, you know, is told that we're no longer here. So whatever comes after that doesn't apply to us. So right. I, I, can, I can feel the questions of the people their minds, you know, uh, uh, moving and thinking. Um, but, but again, it, it's something that we need to uh, uh, talk about because at the end of the day, you know, people that believe that we were going to go through this pandemic and the rapture would, uh, would take place, find themselves here. <laughs> exactly. We are, going through, we are going through a pandemic. How does this fit with the theology that most of uh, the, the, the church in the West has taught people. Right. Right. And that's why when you turn on television today, what they're saying doesn't make sense. When you turn on Christian television, it doesn't make sense. That's why they think everything's going to get better because of how they have uh, been taught and how they have uh, believed uh, end time events. Well, it doesn't align with their doctrine. That's why. Yes. Yes. What's happening now, are you does saying, not are, align. With the with with their with their doctrine, and and what we're gleaning from from this is that Passover has remember, no one knows the time or the hour, but there is an appointed time for everything, and Passover yeah. we're 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 following all the things you mentioned from Genesis all the way to the Gospel of John, brother Marty, uh, the things that have happened on Passover, it's clear yeah. at least to me it's clear that Passover is a type of sign that uh, that God has left for what is to come. Yeah. Right? And Absolutely. Wh why did this happen? Why did this happen right before the death of Jesus? See, look, and then the other thing is these people, uh, we see in, in his first Passover, he comes, he chastises the people, right? Jesus in his ministry and tells them, my house shall be called a house of prayer. On the second, yeah. on the second Passover, we even see the people even there trying to make him king. And the Bible says in John 6 that when he perceived that they were trying to be, make him king, he left to the mountain. But by this third Passover, we see that he, he allows it. He allows it to take place to fulfill prophecy, but also to use that as a precursor to what is going to come and what's going to happen in the future very soon. In the end of the world. That's exactly right, yes. brother. I can't. I can't even say it. You can't say it any better than you guys just put it out there. So again, to recap, what we're saying is that notice, and you guys open your Bibles and look at this, beginning in John chapter twelve, uh, verse twelve, all the way through to verse twenty, we see an unfolding of a true historical thing that took place. But as Brother Fernando was saying, Brother Jeremy was saying, Jesus identified himself with every single thing that he did. He is identified with very, very prophetic events that would take place in the end. We started saying, what we see in the beginning, we shall see in the end. The testimony of Jesus is 
the testimony or the spirit of prophecy. And the way that John has written, it is no accident that there's 21 chapters in the book of uh, in the Gospel of John. There's 22 in the book of Revelation written by John. We ain't got time to go into this. But if you take each chapter of the Gospel of St. John and apply it to each successive chapter of the book of Revelation, you will find they fit like a glove. That's for another day. Why did John leave off in 21 chapters in the Gospel? Because the 22nd chapter was yet to be written at the end of the millennium. Now you've really lost me. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> 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 Hallelujah. So check this out. So 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 we were saying, well, we took you over to the book of Revelation. You're going to have to listen to this several times, but as 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 is good for us to do. But but when you look at the palm branches, you don't see them again showing up until in between the sixth and the seventh seal. And what we pointed out there is that if the pattern is true, the way John has written at such a deep level here, he's pointing out these historical narratives in order to identify to a future generation that the time is in hand. And if the pattern is true, that the first Passover, which showed where Jesus died in the, when he died on Calvary in that first Passover of our Lord, actually fulfilling the type of the lamb that was slain, there is yet another part of a Passover that needs to be fulfilled. It will, it will, there was a, how am I going to say this? There had to be a Passover in the future that would signal to that generation that the time of the palm branches is drawing near. That's and good. we have not, right? We have not mm-hmm. seen it in 2,000 years. Until now. We, until now. At least the framework is very suspicious. <laughs> right. Like, Very you know, coincidental. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Very coincidental. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, you know, does God have to come up and hit us upside the head with a with a with a fish? You know, like a mackerel? You know, to wake us up? I mean, this we're talking to you because it's the time to talk this way, and we could not talk this way if we weren't living in the time where it's being fulfilled. At least that's, that's my good. contention. That's it. Yeah, and that's so, good, brother. Right. And so what we're seeing in this palm branch thing that we're mentioning is is the pattern holds true further on in the book of Revelation where we just read to you. The palm branches of verse 13 represent the sealing of the 144,000, those Jews that celebrate, that are his servants, because Israel has to be saved, then the church that will come out of a great tribulation period. But if this pattern that we're talking about can be revealed then we have to see the innumerable hosts of nations, right? The Gentile nations have to be represented in this story, and they are. And that's why we took you to verse 20, chapter 12, verse 20, because that's the first time we see Gentiles mentioned. That's when the Greeks show up. And 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 so we have the waving of the palm branches and the Greeks combined in the Feast of Passover. It's the first time we see it. And they come and they want to worship at this feast. And the same, therefore, came to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desiring, we want to see Jesus. Philip comes and tells Andrew, and again, Andrew tells Philip, and they tell Jesus. And Jesus says, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And he begins to talk about a corn of wheat falling into the ground. He begins to identify himself first with the crucifixion. 
before mm-hmm. he will he will celebrate this waving of the palm branches and the Jews and the Greeks together as their king, he then pauses and says, yes. wait a minute, I have to go to the cross. Yes. Tomorrow we'll get it, we're going to leave it there and we're going to get into it a little deeper. There's a reason that Jesus pauses and changes the flow of the narrative and focuses on the cross. Because as we've been laying forth, what God is hiding and has hidden in his scripture is that an end-time church, glorious as she is, will be glorious because she is the church that will be uh, brought through a tribulation period and rescued just before the outpouring of the wrath of God. Now, remember this. Calvary is the wrath of God. Mm. Only Jesus took Mm. that wrath for his saints. Hallelujah. Right? And so all who reject that gospel, that he became our sacrifice, will will have no option left to them but to experience the wrath of God at the end of time. And so that is what we're going to see unfold. The reason Jesus puts a pause button there with the Greeks now coming, it was ahead of time where the two would come together, Jew and and Gentile, and form one church signified by the waving of the palm branches, not seen again until they're standing in the throne room of heaven together, Revelation 7, 9. Who are these, John says? These are they that came out of great tribulation. This is signaling our time. He puts a pause on it and begins to talk about Calvary. And as we go through the narrative, what you're going to see is there's a reason for that pause. And the reason is, is, and what it represents, is is what we will talk about tomorrow. Because remember this, Revelation chapter 6 opens up by describing that the time has come for the opening of the seven seals. We have the white horse, he who rides a bow, uh, a white horse with a bow in his hand, he goes forth to conquer and the, conquering and to conquer. Then we have the red horse, who's given the authority to take peace from the earth. And then we have the black horse who comes out with scales in his hand and then says a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, but hurt not the oil and the wine. That begins to deal with economics. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, which John doesn't record, but the other gospels do, what is the first thing that he does when he gets off of that donkey and goes to the temple? He he deals with their economics. I know that's way over most people's heads. But see, he's fulfilling the seals before the seals are loosed. He's showing typology, yet actually doing it. He had to clean his house. Now, anyway, so then we go into the fourth seal, right? Which is what? Uh, It's interesting to me, and I haven't heard anyone say this. Maybe they have. But remember, the fourth seal or the opening of the fourth seal produces the pale horse, which represents sickness and disease, pandemic, if you will. The one riding the horse has a crown on his head, and his name is Death, and death and hell follow him. It is not without irony, at least, that this virus is called Corona, right? We know cor- well, Corona. Right. Corona yeah, means Spanish, right? Yeah. And in and in Latin, yes. right? It means yes. crown. And so it's wow. interesting that it's called a coronavirus, and it's been unleashed upon the entire planet. It is why we think that the fourth seal has been opened on a global scale now. Because the writer takes the sword, takes famine, 
and death and pestilence is brought forth. And then we come to the fifth seal, which is the announcement that the church is about to go into a persecution and tribulation period. And that is why I believe that when Jesus puts a pause in John chapter 12, right there, when they're saying, now we got the Greeks here, it wasn't time yet. He begins to talk about a wrath or a Calvary experience that's coming. And it is a foreshadow of the fifth seal that will be opened in our time. I know that's way over most people's heads, not because we're so brilliant or anything, but it is how we've been taught by the Spirit. So think about it, meditate upon it, and if the Lord allows, we'll come back and pick it up from there. Because what Jesus yes. is doing through Passover week is fulfilling not only the salvation of the world and taking upon himself the wrath of God intended for the whole world and 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 freeing and saving all who will come and identify with that sacrifice from a future wrath that is yet to come. All who reject the cross will be subject to the wrath of God from that point until this point. And we believe that we have begun to enter into these things, and that is what God has begun to reveal through this pandemic and in the subsequent ensuing years that are just ahead of us. Even so, right, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Can you close it out, brothers? Yes. You know, I, 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 I just, just want to go ahead. Brother. I just just wanted to say, um, you know, go, going on what I said earlier, that what most of the church in the West has been taught concerning uh, tribulation or great tribulation, you know, they've been taught that we are not going to go through that. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that we God's people are not going to go through tribulation or great tribulation. Jesus said, he actually promised that we would. He said that in me, he said, these things I have spoken in John 16, 33, that in me ye might have peace. That's what he did promise, peace in the midst of it. In the world ye shall have tribulation. There it is. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, also, I want to make this very clear. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the only thing God did promise that we would not go through was yes. wrath. Yes. God right. has not appointed us to wrath. Yes. Right? That's what he did promise. There is a difference between tribulation and the wrath of God. Yes. And so I challenge the, the listener. To, to find out when God begins to pour out his wrath, and you will see a rapture take place before it does. Yes. Right? And, and he used two signs concerning his coming, two signs that we need to study deeper, I think, the signs of Jonah, excuse me, the signs of Noah and of the days of Noah and the signs and the sign of the days of Sodom. You yes. see the same template. That prior or before wrath is poured out, we see a type of rapture or salvation take place with his people. Brother, Brother Fernando, what's, right there when you mentioned Noah, you're so right. Because when Noah comes out of the ark, it's literally on the Feast of Tabernacles. That's good. There it is. That's good. There it is. So I want, I want the listener to, to pay attention to that. Wrath is not tribulation. Tribulation is not wrath. 
we need to redefine our terminology and really understand what it means. So we are not appointed to wrath. Never in Scripture will you find, unless you try to twist your 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 your, your eschatology to fit that we are not going to go through great tribulation and tribulation, but you do not find that in Scripture. The only thing God promised we're not appointed to is wrath. Amen. Right. So I challenge you to, to, to study Scripture, and uh, and I hope that this podcast has blessed you. And again, like Brother Marty said, if you need to listen to it again, please do. Please do. Slow it down. If you have to stop and search Scripture, you do that. Right? Let, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Amen. 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 And we thank God. You know, there's a lot of people I sense, you know, they're, it, it's making sense to them. They don't understand everything. Because right now, you know, in this last 30 seconds before we close, you know, you, I look around and, and when these questions are posed to ministers today, most of them either run around the question, right, or, or, yeah. or take it somewhere else, or they answer by, they have to always adjust things to fit their doctrine, whether it's preach, whatever it is. But, you know, at the end of the day, if we are right, the church is in trouble in America. And that's why God is bringing this warning. But, you know, I, I want to end today in a, just with a scripture that is going to encourage all of you. And that is what Jesus told the church in Sardis in chapter 3 and verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The key here, there's a reason why he says it, he that overcometh. Overcometh what? What is about to come to this world. I pray that you have eyes to see, ears to hear. I pray that you were blessed. And we hope to see you. To, uh, to, I hope that you join us tomorrow at our at, in our podcast, and that you will tell others and continue to search the scriptures and continue to see and compare what God is saying to us in this hour. May God bless you and keep looking up. <laughs>